What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Games Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dave Winchester. This week, we're going to be talking Mega Man X on the Super Nintendo with my buddy Brandon. I would have to say this is probably the first real retro game that we've done on the podcast, and I think this whole discussion went really well. Also, I want to know what you guys think of the new audio mixing that's going on in this podcast. It might sound the same here, but the actual podcast itself was mixed by a good friend at work, did a ton of technical stuff that I have no idea what it means, but it's supposed to make the podcast sound better. And anytime the podcast improves, I'm, I'm all about it, you know? So this episode was recorded about two weeks ago, right as I was starting to come down with another cold which I caught from my son, and now my wife has it just as I'm starting to get over it. So you can probably tell as the podcast goes on that my voice becomes more nasally and I'm starting to cough a little bit more. That's why, because that was the first day that I was coming down with the cold. Luckily, I'm getting better now, and I think I'm going to be recording the next podcast tomorrow with Harrison. We're going to be doing Resident Evil 4, sticking to that good old survival horror genre. We're also going to be trying to keep the podcasts a little bit on the shorter side. So most of the podcasts right now are running about two to sometimes three hours long when you count the Skyrim one. We're going to try to get that down to about 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes of actual discussion about the game because most of the feedback I've been getting is that people want to listen to the podcast, but they see the runtime and realize they probably won't be able to finish it in a reasonable pace, so they just don't download it at all, which is understandable. Like, if I can't finish something, why am I even going to bother starting it? So because of that, we're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter, a little bit more concise, a little bit less bullshitty, I guess would be the term that I would use. Keep it flowing a little bit better. So we'll see how that goes tomorrow. So you should be getting that episode on the following Monday. I've been doing really good with Monday uploads. The Dead Space one unfortunately went up a little bit early and that was 100% my fault because I had it scheduled and then like an idiot just hit publish two days early. So if you're wondering why there's a little bit of a longer gap between episodes, that's why. My fault, I'm an idiot. Now on to what I'm currently playing. So I'm playing Resident Evil 4 for the podcast tomorrow, but I'll probably finish that before we do it. Luckily, I can speedrun Resident Evil 4 pretty quickly, and I kind of know what I'm going to say about the game already because I've played it probably a dozen times by now. So that's going to be done by tomorrow. Then I'm going to start God of War Ragnarok as soon as I finish Tormented Souls on the PlayStation 5. So I'm kind of about halfway through Tormented Souls. It's a pretty short game that I'm most likely going to just do a solo podcast on because I'm I personally love it but nobody I know has even heard of this game so it's probably just going to be me talking to you guys in a little short podcast whenever I get a chance to record it on my switch I'm playing loop hero still and I'm starting tactics ogre both of which are games that I'm actually playing just for my own personal enjoyment I don't know if I'm going to do a podcast on them Maybe if somebody else decides to do it, because I know I have another friend at work that's actually starting Tactics Ogre right now, as well as playing Final Fantasy Tactics. So I might be able to get him on the show, but I, I don't know until, you know, we both finish the game. As for some housekeeping stuff, you know the drill. Make sure you follow or subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, 
and iHeartRadio. So no matter where you listen to your podcasts, we are there. If you want to get in contact with me, you can do it most easily by going through Twitter. Extra Dave Gaming is my handle on Twitter. That's going to be in the link in the description. I think I say the wrong Twitter handle on this podcast at the very end. So disregard that one. Go with Extra Dave Gaming. And if you want to find us on Facebook, we're at Extraordinary Games. Currently running ads, so you might just see us pop up there depending on where you're listening. If you want to support us, you can like our page at Extraordinary Games on Facebook. I will appreciate it. Also, you can you know just contact me, comment about the podcast. You'll also find links to the YouTube videos there. We do have a YouTube channel. That's also going to be posted in the, the description below, which you can follow us or you know subscribe to us on there. I always try to get supplemental videos up for each and every podcast. The only downside is it does take a little while to edit. So I'm actually late on both the Skyrim one and the Neo in Stranger of Paradise joint podcast. Just keep in mind, I'm doing what I can. I'm the only one really working on this with the exception of actually like editing the audio, which I now have somebody else doing. Um, hopefully they'll be doing that every week. So the podcast will sound a little better. So if this intro sounds a little bit different from the actual podcast, I'm recording this about an hour before this goes live and I'm just going to splice everything together and throw it up there. So if this sounds a little bit different and the podcast sounds better, let me know if vice versa, for some reason, this sounds better and the podcast sounds like crap. Also let me know about that. So that's going to be it for me rambling. I'm going to throw on some music from Mega Man X. And when we get back, I'll be here with my buddy, Brandon, talking some good old retro SNES greatness. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? We are here talking about Mega Man X. I have a, a new guest on the podcast today, so I'm going to have him introduce himself. I actually, uh, we worked together back in the day at Whole Foods, and we, we would talk about like Ninja Gaiden and a bunch of retro games. So this is actually perfect because we haven't really had any retro game people on yet. So this is going to be great. So uh, yeah, introduce yourself and uh, tell us what you've been playing and what you've been up to. Hey, what's up, everybody? Sigma X here, or Ray Fist, or Brandon. Uh, I used to do a retro gaming podcast as well, so it's pretty great to be on here. Um, yeah, uh, I just love retro games, and me and Dave would talk about retro games all the time at work, so I was like, oh, cool. Someone else who plays these ridiculous 80s games that isn't, you know, anything from, like, the 2000s or, like, 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, um, right now, so I've been playing a variety of things lately. We were both talking about Dracula X before we started this call, and I feel like we could bring that up a little bit and how we feel about that, because we're both big Vania fans. Yeah, like I started playing it because of the Advanced Collection. Um, I had never played it before the Advanced Collection came out, but I was curious because I actually have been playing, uh, I was playing Rondo of Blood not that long ago because I have the... Um, was it Castlevania Requiem Collection? Yes. 
yeah, I got it. I got it from limited run games, and I was like, and I'm one of those psychopaths that opens the games and actually plays them. And uh, I played through Rondo, and I was like, this is fucking wonderful. And then uh, when I got the advanced collection not that long ago, and I saw Dracula X was on that, I was like, I want to see what the differences are. And I was like, holy shit, this is like, it's the same game ish, but they cut so much out of it, it was insane. And like I said, it's it's weird because the Super Nintendo is definitely a much more powerful console than the PC Engine. So it's it's really weird that like they they made all these compromises. I mean, the alternate routes are still there, but the bosses are completely different. The levels, well, they still have a lot of the same music and some of the same design. I think I got to like a level similar to Dracula's Castle from Rondo of Blood is where I left off when I last played it. Um but again, it's just still so drastically different. You can't even play as Maria in it, which I, I loved Maria in Rondo of Blood. She was awesome. Maria was uh, easy mode, as I like to call her. She basically is because she has the double jump. <laughs> yeah, she has the double jump. Her attacks are like pretty much like, her attacks are better, quote unquote. I think the first time I played through Rondo, I actually played as Maria just because it was an easy, it was like literally an easier experience for me. And uh, when I played Dracula X, I was like, oh, this is this is a little bit more difficult than I was anticipating. And I played through with both um, both characters in the Rondo of Blood. And I, for some reason, Dracula X is just like just a little bit different. And it's also weird that Dracula X is like if I don't know if you notice this, but like the the actual stages are a little bit more segmented, too. It's like they broke up the screens in a different way. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember this um, from Rondo of Blood. There's one level where there's these Medusa heads and they knock you into this pit, which if you fall, you don't die. It just brings you into a harder section of the level. Whereas in Dracula X, that same segment is there, but instead it brings you to an alternate stage path. So they still have the alternate stages, but it's handled in a much weirder way. It's really weird. It's a strange game, definitely. And if anybody picks up the advanced collection, I recommend just like at least trying it. I will say this. Compared to the other games on the advanced collection, Dracula X is by far and away the worst one on it. Uh, but it's it's just like an it's like an interesting piece of history because it should have been like it should have been just a port of Rondo, it but it's it's way different. Like if you're expecting Rondo of Blood on Super Nintendo, that is not what you're gonna get. Yeah, it's 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 certainly not a bad game. It's got its fans for sure, but I definitely wouldn't compare it to the likes of Rondo of Blood at all, personally. It's a, a much different uh, beast. Yeah. So have you been playing anything else besides Dracula X? So what else I've been playing? Um, so I recently, from a seller on Etsy, got a modded GameCube. It has this thing on it called Swiss. It's basically like an EverDrive that essentially emulates the the, the disk drive. And basically, I loaded a bunch of things on an SD card and started going through a bunch of games. Donkey Konga 3, uh, Jungle Bee, started playing Melee. But what I really started and really getting a little deep into is a little game called Chibi Robo, which I'm sure everyone oh has heard of. God. Dude, <laughs> I I love how just ridiculous and overly Japanese the game is. It's, it's so off-the-wall ridiculous. I mean... You're basically just going around this house. You're like this small little robot part of this um part of this like toy kind of like toy electronic company and you're just doing like all these like small meandering tasks to please this family. 
But there's like it's one of those games that has a darker layer the more you go into it. And it's there's way more to this family than meets the eye and all the, it's like Toy Story, right? There's all these toys inhabiting the place that like come to life at night. And I just I love games like those. Like I absolutely love it so much. It, am I wrong that it's the most expensive game to get on the GameCube, if I'm not mistaken? It's it's definitely up there and I can see why. The company Gip, they like so it was it was released so late into the GameCube's life cycle. It was re- released like when the Wii was already out. In fact, I think they if you remember there was that line of GameCube games that got re-released for the Wii. There was like a few of them like Pikmin. Chibi Robo was one of those, but it was Japan only. So, we didn't even get that. Um but yeah, it was a, it ended up being a very expensive game just because like nobody really at the time. I mean, it's a lot more popular now, but Oh yeah. It's a really cool, unique game and very different from the norm. I could definitely see how it was a bit of a risk, but I absolutely love the gameplay and kind of just like reaching as you like make the family more and more happy and start doing things around the house to like kind of basically uh, essentially complete these tasks. You'll basically have new ways of traversing. Like you'll get ladders to climb up higher, uh, all these kinds of things. It's it's honestly really fun. I might have to uh, sail the high seas and actually play that one because Lord knows I'm not going to buy it. Um, <laughs> but I've also heard a lot about it previously, too. I want to say Greg was one of the few people that also has played Chibi Robo, to my knowledge. Um, Greg from like the, the Elder Scrolls podcast and uh, the Neo 2 one. So he told me the same thing, where it's like such a weird game for the GameCube just as a whole. It's so interesting that everybody should at least try it to see how weird it is. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely not paying the. Just look at it on eBay and no, tell it's, me it's somebody ridiculous. would pay for that. Like two hundred, it's like two hundred or three hundred ish at this point. That's not worth it. Like I just told you, I'm literally playing off a hacked GameCube, and I don't care. I'm having a great time with it. I'm not having any issues. And the thing is, like, it's definitely like, you know it leaves a lot to be said like I, I i still love nintendo now i really do i love my switch i love everything they do but i really feel like the gamecube era was just that era where they were just doing so many things di- like they were taking so many risks and i love that and they don't feels like they don't do that to the same extent anymore i mean they were being ballsy with some of their games like luigi's mansion and wind waker and just how much they were changing things up against like you know, because people wanted the sequel to Mario 64. They got Mario Sunshine. Things like that. <laughs> I love it. Not to get like too off topic, but just that air of Nintendo was perfect to me. No, it's a it's a weird time that it, like Nintendo had. Because I remember I was actually working at a, a game store when around that era. I think it was just around the time the GameCube launched where I started. I remember it was weird because everybody said like, why isn't there a Mario game launching with the system? Why is it like a Luigi game? And then as you go like further down the line, you realize like they were experimenting a crazy amount with that console. Like they were doing all sorts of so wacky shit with it. It was also the console that if you think about it, set up a lot of the big franchises. Like there were like Smash Brothers was like pretty big on N64, but then you had Melee on GameCube, which was fucking huge. Oh my god, the competitive scene is insane. Oh, the amount of tournaments I ran at that game store for Melee was nuts. But then you had games like... You you had essentially two completely different style Zelda games on that system. Because you had Wind Waker 
And then before, right when the system was kind of tapering off and they were going into Wii, you had Twilight Princess. But if you look at those games, like they are two very different Zelda games. Now we get Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild 2. It's just like not much variety in that. It's just this more of the same, essentially. Oh, gosh. Don't get me started on the new Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, but like GameCube, they experimented so much with their like IPs in that one console and then branched out like a crazy amount. Like the GameCube would have a fucking Metal Gear Solid game on it. That was awesome. Like Twin Snakes is fucking amazing. I, I, I will stand by and forever say that Twin Snakes is a absolutely fine remake and the people who shit on it are really just ridiculous snake jumping on a missile is not that fucking ridiculous okay guys come on <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 4 did weirder shit for what it was for like a remake using the Metal Gear Solid like 2 engine essentially it it was great it did the game yeah. was kind of broken though because of the first person mode yes like literally like shoot from afar and like like on the hangar area or whatever you could just look down and just use the tranquilizer because i don't think the original even had the tranquilizer it wasn't until this one yeah it, it was a definitely a uh a, like it was a cool thing because everybody wanted to see a new metal gear solid game or a metal gear solid remake and we ended up getting that but because the cutscenes were so different from the original i think people got really upset but it's an interpretation. Like somebody once told me, it doesn't take away anything from the original game if the remake is different. I would be more upset if the remake was bad. Like if it was just like a really shitty Metal Gear Solid remake, I would be so much more upset. But it's not a shitty Metal Gear Solid remake. It's a good Metal Gear Solid remake with a different take on the way the story's told. That's all it is. Oh, absolutely. I think people need to realize that faithfulness does not always equal a good thing. Like, I'm here to play a different perspective on the game, not the exact same game that I played back on the PlayStation 1, you know? Yeah, and I love the original Metal Gear Solid. Like, the I my memories of that game are so vivid and, like, ingrained in why I love video games. But that doesn't mean when I play Twin Snakes and he, like did a backflip and like drop kicked a, a piece of like concrete. I was like, Oh, this is stupid. I was like, no, this is fucking dope. Like I wish these cutscenes looked this good in the original game. And even though it's not exactly what happened in the original game, it never pissed me off. It was just different. The, the last funny thing I'll say about that is that my favorite theory that people have like theorized about that game. They're like, Oh, that game is just, like Otacon using like VR missions and just playing it from his perspective. And I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, I guess I can sort of see that a little bit. That's kind of a weird take though. I, I don't know if I could, I can get behind that. I just, I personally just think it was one of those things where Kojima didn't have like his, his hooks in the storyline as much because he wasn't completely overseeing the development of that game so i think the i think was it silicon knights that made it i think they just like they had a different interpretation is what it came down to yeah i, I think it's just a funny theory because it's like i guess considering how much of a plot point vr missions was on metal gear solid 2 and they made it canon i guess it could be argued but yeah 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It, but also you have to realize who we're even lucky that game exists because from what I've heard in reports coming out from like how Silicon Knights was like operating and stuff, their games were all barely getting released because there were so many issues with them. And the fact that that game came out and was so good is actually kind of shocking. Yeah, I've, I, I mean, I don't know if this was a more recent thing, but I know there's there was a lot of like bad shit that came out about the person behind silicon knights and things that got exposed about him they also did eternal darkness i believe so i was just kind of like uh oh that's not good but yeah yeah they they were kind of a the guy running that company was a, kind of a shady dude was essentially stealing code from different engines or like he, he was doing really bad stuff but that doesn't mean that the games that were released were bad they were just you know, the product of some sketchy things that happened. That being said, I'm just, I'm happy we got so many good games out of that company because we got Eternal Darkness out of that. Technically, if you want to get technical about it, about it, we got the whole Blood Omen series because of them. We got Twin Snakes. Like, we got a lot of good stuff from Silicon Knights before, you know, the like they just went under. Yeah, it, it is a shame what got real. But hey, you know, all about separating the art from the artist at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Like, there's... Plenty of times where I'm just like, I can appreciate the the actual product and kind of put aside the the things that the the people that made it did. Yeah. So uh, do you want to do you want to hop into some Mega Man X? Oh yeah, we can definitely do this. So we're talking about Mega Man X today, and uh, I had to hop into this one because Mega Man X is one of my favorite Super Nintendo games of all time. Uh, I love it to death. Um, so yeah, I figure we can just start by talking about our experience growing up with it. If if we did grow up with it, I think you played it for the first time recently, didn't you? Yeah, well, I can't say I played it for the the first. I completed it for the first time recently. Okay. I played it when I was younger because I had a I went over a friend's house and he had Mega Man uh, X. And I, the first my first thought was always like, wow, this is like this looks so much better than the original like NES Mega Man games. Like it, it like blew my mind. It was a upgrade yeah but when i was younger i did not have a super nintendo so i was literally unable to play it i was a genesis kid so until the uh mega man x collection came out i was not able to actually like you know sink my teeth into it with that being said i i'm glad i'm now partaking in the mega man x franchise because i i personally i personally really like it i don't know if it's better than the original series but i i definitely like see why this game has so much praise you know it's funny we were 100 percent genesis kids too i don't know what it is my dad was just very i was like i mean you're much older than me but when i was like really little i was like three years old my dad was all about the blast processing like he bought into it 100 percent. like he was just all about genesis so we didn't really other than my sister coming over with the super nintendo i wouldn't really experienced Mega Man for a very long time and this is kind of weird my first experience with a Mega Man game was actually Mega Man 9 for the PS3 and a free demo because I was kind of just like really bored of that generation of games and was kind of leaning more a a little bit towards old school and I just saw that and tried it out and I was like I really like the very easy to pick up hard to master gameplay and eventually i ended up getting the anniversary collection for the classic series on gamecube if you remember that one and that is a not so great port of the <laughs> first Mega Man, the 
first eight Mega Man games. They are not great. Uh, they're based off the PS1 ports. The music loops really awkwardly. And I will never fucking forgive the fact that B is jump, okay? You can't change that. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that, but it's an awful decision. B should not be jump on the GameCube controller. It just does not make sense. But e- either way, it it got the job done. It did what it had to. But honestly, if you're going to play the classic Mega Man games, the Legacy Collection's a lot better. But that was my first Mega Man experience. My first Mega Man X experience wouldn't be until... A bit later, like like I said, I kind of dropped like the whole Wii PS3 360 thing. I was just getting very tired of like uh, the formulaic games that were coming out at the time. Not to throw shade at that generation. I still think some great games came out of it. I just was kind of drifting away a bit. And eventually, um, that's Entertainment in Worcester, which was like back in the day, they were the best. You know that store, I believe, in, in Worcester. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the like bigger... I want to say like retro hangouts, kind of like that's where you go. They were great. Yeah, yeah. It, it was back when like retro game prices weren't just absolutely through the roof. It was a better time. Um, I got my Super Nintendo and I started collecting a little bit and I picked up Donkey Kong Country, Super Mario Kart and Mega Man X. Uh, and immediately when I played Mega Man X, I was just very, very drawn to like the fast paced gameplay, the rock music uh, I was hooked, and it was really, really fun. But yeah, so that that was kind of my first my first impression with Mega Man X, and that was like in my teen years, I want to say. So I got into it very late in my life, but I was immediately hooked by how much edgier it was. It, it was a lot darker than classic Mega Man, but I think it, it did a good job at not drifting too far from its classic roots, if you know what I mean. I agree with that. It's it's definitely the same gameplay as the original Mega Man. Like everything's there. You have the Mega Buster, your jump works. They just added a little bit of stuff to make it one faster paced and two it it got superfied kind of, but not in the same way other Super Nintendo games did. Like that was the thing. Like everything that was on Nintendo went to Super Nintendo and it was supposed to be bigger better flashier and i feel like mega man x was not that like they didn't try to make mega man but better they tried to make mega man but different like it's a whole new series if you're looking at it that way like you have these different armor pieces in this mega man which you didn't get in the the original mega man games you have a faster movement with the dash which is fucking amazing like whoever thought of adding the dash to the game genius because it makes the game play so much differently when you have that dash button and then on top of that they changed like even the boss setups and how like what the bosses look like and how they relate to to Mega Man themselves it's just altogether a whole different game and i appreciate that they weren't just trying to be like hey here's Mega Man with just just better graphics you know Oh, absolutely. The thing is, it's funny, too, because I think Mega Man 6, I think it came out a month before Mega Man X. Someone can correct me about that. But they were still, Capcom was still making classic Mega Man games while X was still in, like, you know, the whole X series was going as its own thing. So you're right. It wasn't so much just the next generation of Mega Man. It was more like its own thing. It was its own series that branched out with some really great sequels and some not so great ones that I can briefly touch upon later but yeah no it's it's definitely 
Uh, it definitely became its. It, it came into its own. Yeah, and it's actually, if you think about it, it's genius on Capcom's part because they probably knew, hey, the the Nintendo's not just going to go away. Like the Nintendo's going to be around for a while, and not everybody's going to be able to get their hands on a Super Nintendo. So why not kind of run this game parallel? to the regular Mega Man games. And if you think about it, they could pretty much double dip. Like the people that had Nintendos were going to get the Mega Man, the original Mega Man games and Mega Man 6, which had come out like almost the same time. But then the people that upgrade are going to get Mega Man X. And then if they have both and they're real fans of the series, they can get both. It's actually like, like I said, it's genius. It's really smart marketing on their part. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, they were still well making NES games way after the Super Nintendo. I mean, Star Tropics 2 was a very late NES game. There, there was a lot of them. Uh, not to mention, like you said, yeah, it was a very smart marketing strategy because, I mean, oh gosh, we could do a topic for like every single one of these one day. But like Mega Man Zero, Mega Man Battle Network. I mean, we were, I know there was a very dry Mega Man period for a bit, but there was like a Mega Man renaissance. I'd argue almost a bit too much at one point we were just getting so many Mega Man games from so many different series that they they really branched out and were able to do so many things with this ip yeah it, i agree with that though with the fact that you were kind of like inundated with Mega Man stuff for a little while because at i think it was the time where i was actually working at the game store so that was sometime between like 2003 to 2007 or 8 I remember seeing like the, I want to say it was like the Battle Network games, the Command Mission games, um, and then you had like other just like random, like you had the Mega Man collection that had come out on GameCube at the time, and there were so many of them, like I didn't know what they were. Like I think it was like the first time I, I booted up, I think it was might have been, I want to say it was the Command Mission games. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at but it doesn't look like Mega Man to me. I mean, yeah, that game was essentially a glorified Breath of Fire game with a Mega Man skin, so I've heard. But yeah, no, it they definitely were able to do a lot with the IP, and it, it definitely got a little crazy at one point. But yeah, um, Mega Man X was great, and it, it spawned a few great sequels, a few not-so-great sequels. But uh, the next part I kind of want to like kind of go over is like the interesting development. I mean, it's kind of your... Standard uh, Japanese hell development. I mean, the thing is, people talk about crunch now uh, and all that with like Rockstar games and all that. But, you know, back then it was pretty freaking awful, too, in Japan. I mean, there'd be many sleepless nights, things like that. Inafune was just, you know, I know Inafune is a big point of contention nowadays because of Mighty Number no. 9 and he's doing some NFT shit. And he's not even the sole creator of Mega Man, I'm sure you've heard. But, Back then, he was, like, apparently struggling to make ends meet over this game, like, just living off ramen, that kind of thing. So it was it was hell. It was absolute hell for the whole development team, and they were just really struggling to put this all together. But it came out, and it came out really well at the end of the day. And there were some interesting takes, too. Like, apparently Zero, um, you know, he was supposed to be the main character originally, but he ended up... Uh, being a side character and getting his own game much later down the line, much to Inafune's wishes. So I, I found that very interesting. Yeah, that actually. So before I I agreed to this podcast uh, on this topic, because like I said, I was not a Mega Man X person before. Um, 
I actually watched a video and I probably shouldn't have because it was ridiculous, but it was somebody on YouTube explaining all of the Mega Man games in excruciating detail in all the plots and all the timelines for eight hours and then going into depth about the development. I watched this entire goddamn video and you're right. Apparently Inafune wanted Zero to be the main character, but for some reason Capcom was like, We're, we don't think this is going to work, but you can put him in the game. So that's how Zero ended up becoming what he is. And then luckily, like you said, he ended up getting essentially his own games afterwards, which are good. Like I actually started playing those recently too. Excellent fucking titles. Like I would, I would argue that the Zero ones, in my opinion, are better than X in some respects. Um, that rhymed. But yeah, it is really weird as far as development went for the Mega Man like the Mega Man games as a whole, but specifically X, because there was a lot of stuff that Inafune wanted to try and got shot down, but somehow still made it into the game. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe a controversial take, but I actually kind of am on the side of Capcom. I think making Mega Man X's design more akin to a teenage Mega Man was probably the smarter way to go, just because I don't think anybody would have any idea who Zero is, and I feel like this is just a theory, but I feel like it was like that era of like more, you know, Zero's got the long hair. I mean, it's like kind of that era where people thought like, oh, like, oh, it's kind of like girly sort of thing. It's, it's kind of like the Kirby box arts, if you've heard about that, how Kirby's like angry in the US box arts, but really happy in the Japanese box arts. I, I feel like it's like kind of like that, but that's, that's just a theory on my part. I have no idea if that's actually the case. I think Capcom was right as well. Like, you can't just put a new character, an entirely new character, as kind of the head of a franchise on the Super Nintendo, because it wouldn't have worked. Like, people want Mega Man. Mega Man was what was selling on the NES. If you're changing it to essentially a Zero game, you're like, this is going to be your main character. I don't think it would have done as well as a whole, but I am glad, like I said, that somehow this came to fruition. He like zero ended up getting its own storyline and everything on top of that but x and at the end of the day the x series was the bread maker on super nintendo for for a bit oh yeah no i think it was definitely the smart decision looking back i mean i just don't think they could have done it i mean especially with zero z saber and everything i just think it was way too drastically different but i'm really glad they later found ways to incorporate zero into the series and kind of fit him into the story um but yeah speaking of story um just to like draw some comparisons to the classic series you know like you said it took a much darker darker take on the series because the original Mega Man, it was kind of similar to a saturday morning cartoon where it's like oh dr wiley's getting away again oh the the robot masters are up to no good x there's a lot of like themes of like people dying i mean they're robots they can always be rebuilt but it touches a lot upon death and things like that and i thought that got very interesting a lot of time like free will coexisting amongst other robots or reploids if you will i would say this as far as storylines go for a super nintendo game i wasn't expecting much going into this like the I before the Mega Man X collection came out, I think I played the first mission of the game where you're on the bridge, which is like superb, excellent tutorial, the whole nine. Um, but the first thing that struck me, even back in the day when I was playing it, I was like, 
oh wow this does not take place at the same time as the original Mega Man game like this is entirely new and the fact that Dr. Light is is dead like he's yeah. dead right off from the start of the game and he's talking like to you through a hologram like that was so weird to me because that's like one you're introducing the fact that hey like the Mega Man original Mega Man games are still going on you don't know how Dr. Light died or when he died but you knew that he prepared enough to set all these things in motion further down the road. And then you have everything from like, like you said, free will. Like they didn't really go into too much of that in the original Mega Man games, but they got to expand upon that lore way more when it came to the Mega Man X games. Like not only with X himself, but with all the Mavericks and stuff, which was really interesting. Yeah, no, I've, I've always really liked that aspect of the X Games because it, it bridges the gap. It, it's like you said, yeah, it doesn't give us a, a specified time, but you know that this is a bleak world where all of our favorite characters roll Dr. Light. Who knows what happened to original Mega Man? They're pretty much all gone. This is a completely different world. And it, it bridges the gap in such an interesting way because Dr. Light, you know, he was fearful of of x falling into the wrong hands he was scared that x could his his ability like his free will ability could be you know mass duplicated and used for the very thing he feared mavericks but you know dr kane who was the uh an archaeologist uncovered Mega Man x's uh his parts and was able to kind of duplicate him to create a new generation of reploids which is you know, just the genetic blueprint for everyone, for for all the robots that would coexist amongst humans. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's really interesting the way he set up this, like, he, they essentially set up an entire universe in Mega Man X in the course of this just one game. Because, it, like I said, in the original Mega Man games, there's not that much going on. Like, like you said, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon. Oh no, Dr. Wily escaped again. We have to go after him. This is setting up like an expansive universe. And then when you get into the, the Zero games, it's even more expansive with how they talk about like essentially the rebuilding of X and how he somehow is different even though he's essentially the same thing as the original X. There's so many different theories about these games too. Like, nobody talks about the timeline and stories of the original Mega Man games. But if you talk about Mega Man X and Zero's timelines, it's a whole different ballgame. People can go off for fucking hours about what's going on in these games, how the characters are the way they are, what their, like, what their motives are and why they're doing the things they're doing. And, you know, why free some people believe that free like having free will or robots having free will is a good thing. It's they even go into like enslavement of humanity in certain parts. This is like really dark and deep stuff that they touch on. But if you look at the art style of the game, it really doesn't mimic that in the slightest. It, it just looks yeah. like a a fun, you know, platforming game essentially. I I feel like they handled it in a very very just a very tasteful way you know it didn't feel like that era of like gritty reboots you know with like devil may cry or sonic 06 and all those things it feels like they did it in a way that really separated it from Mega Man while still being similar in a lot of ways and that's that's what i appreciated about that a lot and i like how they pretty much talk about like yes robots like essentially before didn't have any sort of free will and now that they 
uh, this whole the virus is essentially giving them free will is is pretty much what it what kind of what it's coming down to. They talk about how it's both a good and bad thing sometimes. So yeah, like eventually the Mavericks would come out from this because with free will comes the ability to decide for yourself. So as a you know as a direct result of that was criminal activity and thus the maverick hunters were set up which was x and sigma who used to be a good guy and zero and a few others who would you know kind of work to apprehend them but it's kind of interesting because i wasn't really quite i don't quite remember if the maverick virus was a separate thing on its own or if it was something that people just turn to you know because they decide to to revolt in a way yeah it's it's weirdly explained it's also funny because there's like sigma virus and then there's like the maverick virus which are apparently two separate things but kind of do the the same exact thing if that makes any sense yeah um they're just kind of labeled differently if you would um yeah but it's a it's a weird concept that like this virus essentially is freeing the minds of robots but also turning them kind of evil at the same time. It's uh, in certain yeah. cases, it's like less about free will and more about still kind of about control. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that too because it's it's kind of like the plot inconsistencies of Sigma's origins. I, I you said you watched a video on every Mega Man X game, so I guess it wouldn't hurt to mention it. But like in in Mega Man X Four, it explains that Sigma went Maverick due to his encounter with Zero, who which by the way. Spoiler, spoiler, Zero was created by Dr. Wily. So Zero is kind of originally the antithesis to Mega Man X. Um, and he was like the original Maverick. But during Sigma's encounter with Zero, uh, Sigma got the shit beat out of him. But he like shattered this glass on Zero's head, which made him go Maverick in response. But then Zero went... Um, Zero Zero went like Reploid, or just like the opposite of Maverick. So it was very interesting that they did that. And also, can we talk about how fucking awesome Zero is? Like, like oh, Zero in Mega Man X is like a boss. He comes in, he saves uh, X's ass right at the beginning of the game. Like, pretty much tells him, hey man, you gotta get better. Like, you gotta go and find a way to be better, because you can be. And then, like, later on helps him out, and then saves his ass again before the end of the game by sacrificing himself. And it's just like, this character is so fucking cool. And it it seems like Inafune like went out of his way to make you love this character. It's like he knew he's like, if we can keep him in this game and in this series, like eventually people are gonna want to play a game that's just zero. And it ends up working out perfectly because the zero series, like I said, is great. They really built him up to be like, oh my gosh, I want to be like him. It's kind of like Metroid where you're just stripped of all your armor from the very beginning of the games and you just have to continuously get everything. It's the same thing with the highway level in Mega Man X. You know, you go through this level, you fight Vile, and he just kicks the shit out of you. And basically in a scripted sequence, he, he like holds you up and Zero frees you. And you're just like, holy shit. I want to be like that. And as you go through the game, you start to get all the armor pieces, which is a a new really cool addition to these games, by the way. Um, and it, it really, really helps open up the game a lot in, in ways that couldn't be possible with original Mega Man. So I, I really, really like that part of it. I think the armor pieces 
adds so much just because one, they almost force you to backtrack in some scenarios. Like you have to go through levels to to get the armor pieces that you might have already completed because you didn't have the tools to get to them in the first place. So it actually like kind of extends life of the game. But if you think about it, it's also the most rewarding thing that you can do to encourage the player to like backtrack. Like I will never backtrack. Well, sometimes I will for like an E-tank or something like that. But if you're giving me like a piece of armor that allows me to take 50% less damage, yeah, you bet your ass I'm going to go get that. Or like all this like little shit that this armor does, like on its own is really cool. But then when you get like the full armor set, it's like you're playing the game in almost an easy mode. So the game can be as hard or as easy as you want it to be just based on like what armor you collect. It's very... I don't want to call it Souls-like. It's like a Souls-like thing, but it kind of is. Like, if you want to make this game harder, just don't collect any of the armor pieces. You get your dash and then go about your day. But if you want to, like, actually make this game a little bit easier on yourself and you want to make X look more badass, then go collect the armor pieces. It's entirely up to you. How do you want to do it? You could say it's it's like a Metroidvania almost, which, I mean, not quite, but... Yeah, no, it, it was handled in a really cool way. And they really hid some of those armor pieces. Like, I, I don't know if you got all of them, but one of them is like, you have to use like Mega Man's headpiece to like bust some blocks or something. And it was just, it was ridiculous. But there is some really, really cool ones. Like you mentioned earlier, the the dash boots, which everyone's going to do Chill Penguin stage first just for that. They're just going to get those <laughs> boots because they are really what makes or breaks this game. And the biggest addition to this game is just having these boots because holy shit does it just excel this gameplay i think the boots are pretty much required too for some of the bosses but like as far as mobility goes with dodging attacks because once you get the boots you can actually not only like jump and like slide on the wall but you can kind of boost off the wall so in certain boss like segments like it's so easy to dodge if you just jump on the wall and like shoot yourself across but if you don't have those boots you're screwed man like odds of you getting hit on certain boss attacks are go up greatly without them and on top of that though with the whole backtracking thing where you're saying like it's kind of like a metroidvania it really is you have to go back to certain areas like if you really want your your health bar to be fully upgraded you want all of the armor pieces you're backtracking through like now i'm gonna don't quote me on this because like i said i've only played through the game twice uh you're backtracking through at least like three stages i think if you want all like as many upgrades as possible and the other cool part is they don't necessarily make you fight the bosses again you just have to get through the stage or you can just quit out at pretty much any time and go back to the screen so it's not like it's forcing you to to replay shit super far in like if it's in the beginning of the level you can just grab it and then go yeah yeah you have the um exit chip once you uh revisit the stages which is a very nice feature you don't have to like kill yourself like in the original Mega Man games which I think there might have been an option to exit in the later classic Mega Man games but yeah no it was, it was a really cool feature to have that and also like not just that but you also had uh, the abilities you got from the Mavericks which you know by the way same rock paper scissors method as the classic games you would use these to kind of bypass certain obstacles in the level like you know there were certain levels like a Sting Chameleon stage you could use the fire ability you got from Flame Mammoth to like burn down the whole forest and reveal like a heart tank. Things like that were awesome, and I love that. 
yeah, there's a lot of interaction with the environments in this game. Uh, I can't remember. See, don't like I said, don't quote me on like the names of the levels, but there's the water level. You can actually take down a submarine and it actually lowers it down to like a little hidden area where you have to fight a boss. Yes. Like stuff like that. I found so cool because I was thinking about like, if I had played this game back when it was on the super Nintendo and just launched, I, that stuff would blow my mind. The backtracking to find like hidden items like that would have been like, it would have extended the gameplay for me. Also, it makes you feel kind of like more of a badass too when you go back through a level and you have all these upgrades and you're, the, the parts of the level that were hard are now super easy because you can like dash boot over stuff or you have a weapon that like destroys the enemies that you're coming in contact with where before you would have to like charge your Mega Buster like three or four times to kill them. Those little yeah. like tweaks to gameplay make it so much more fun when revisiting the levels that it, it's just it's masterful game design on their part. They didn't have to do this stuff. They could have just gave you the dash boots and be done with it. Instead, they put on all these little things to make you explore the world that they made more, which is really, really, like I said, really cool, really good game design there. I, I, I absolutely love it. And I know the backtracking, especially with the later X games, would be kind of a point of contention with a lot of fans because it almost feels like people are gatekeeped a little bit like oh i feel like i won't stand a chance against these bosses if i don't get these armor pieces but personally i don't mind the decision i think it adds a lot to the core gameplay yeah and if you're adding to the gameplay and it's servicing the game then what's the problem that's the way i see it like that's always been my thing if you're giving the player something that they like to do that's fine that's good that's what the game is there for is to to you know have them feel like a badass in a game. Have them explore a cool world that they can't do in real life. These are all parts of video games. People just like to complain sometimes just because they can. Like, especially the people that play these games retroactively way after the fact. It's so much easier to judge an older game now than when it came out. Like there are tons of games that when they were released, I I loved, but like now if people were to play them, they'd probably bitch and moan about them left, right and center. So uh, I always take everything, especially people on the internet, like take everything with a grain of salt. Like if somebody says something's bad, like don't just take that and take their word for it please go play it like there are people that keep saying like um certain ones in the certain games in these collections are are worse than others honestly i've had fun playing all of the x games so far like i've had zero i there's rarely a time in a game where i'm just like wow this level kind of sucks it almost has not happened in the x collection which is really impressive that it's there's a lot of games there you know yeah yeah and and that being said you know we we brought up the the, the replayability another really really big super ahead of its time aspect of Mega Man X was being able there was like stage alterations depending on which boss you fought first I didn't even know about this till years later actually so if you fight like chill penguin first right flame mammoth stage is completely like iced over and there's other like similar things there's there's I'm trying to remember I think I remember um what's oh spark mandrill uh I think like you can get the lights to, to the level won't darken because you remember the level dark is is completely dark yeah. and you can only see a little bit of light. There's a way you can bypass that. Uh, I forget which boss that was, but that was a, a standout thing that you could do, and that was huge that you could do that. 
Yeah, I did not know that. That's actually pretty awesome. Especially, so I've never been one to go into these games knowing which order to play bosses in. I just kind of go, and if I get my my ass kicked by one of them, I'll just go and try another level. And that's exactly what I did for this game. Yeah. I know by now everybody knows the order. It could have taken me two seconds to go online and see, like, oh, I, you know, should have done uh, Cool Cool Penguin first, and then I, you know... you work your way forward. I can't remember any of the boss's names, but I know the flying guy second just because he's one of the only ones you can beat with the Mega Buster super fucking easy. Yeah. And the thing is, like I said, I didn't look that up. I just went and played the game. And I understand that certain people find that frustrating. Like I've talked to people that don't play Mega Man's Mega Man games because they find that system so frustrating. Because they're like, I don't want to get to the end of a level, realize I can't beat a boss, and then go back through it like and have to, you know, go back and find the level that I should be playing. I find it really entertaining. And the best part about this game, in my opinion, is the fact that these levels, even if you don't know the order, are not very long. Like you can blow through them in maybe five, 10 minutes maximum. So if you get to the boss and you're like, oh, I don't have the abilities to beat this boss yet, you're not missing out on like a 45 minute romp through a level with like 40 checkpoints. You're missing out on five or 10 minutes. You can just go play another level and you're still going to have fun going through the levels just because you can't beat the boss doesn't mean like the level wasn't fun. And half the time, if you're going through the level, depending on what you have already, you'll probably find something that's going to make the other levels easier anyways. Like the first time I found the the armor piece, which reduced damage by 50%, I was like, holy shit, this thing's amazing. I wasn't able to beat the boss at that level, but I got that out of it. There's also the um, third level buster, which is just rips through everything. It is one of the best power-ups in any Mega Man game ever. Oh, that thing's wonderful. Um yeah, I remember you saying about the helmet, the uh, like the blocks that you have to break. Yeah. That was the one area of the game that I actually looked up a YouTube video for because I kept looking at those blocks and I was like, how the hell do I break them? Not knowing that like, yeah, the helmet breaks the blocks, but honestly, your feet also break the blocks if you land on them. And I didn't even think of that. That's true. So I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went back and I was like, I tried it like once missed and then I tried it the second time and landed and just kept bashing the button and got through. I was like, okay, if there's one thing I can really complain about this game, it's the fact that they're like, they give you a helmet that allows you to break bricks with your fucking feet. I was like, this doesn't make sense. They should have changed that shit. Because, like, I if you just thought, like, because my theory playing that was, oh, I'm going to have to jump on this block like Mario. You know, jump up and hit the block with my head like a Mario thing. Mm-hmm. But you absolutely don't have to do that. You can, like, slide down the wall. And when you jump off that wall, if the, the block can be broken, it'll break the block. It's it's very strange. Like look it up on YouTube if you want to know what I'm talking about. But, but that was my one complaint about hunting down items was that. That must be the part I was a little fuzzy on because I said earlier how you had to break it with your head, but we're trying to remember it now. I think I did do it with the feet. So yeah, I feel like that part was very cryptic, but I would say for the most part, it's very fair with how it hides the armor pieces. It it really hints at what you're supposed to do. You know, you'll have to use your power-ups to get certain things, Boomer Koanger's weapon to get like a heart tank or things like that. I, I think they they did a pretty good job of, of, of demonstrating it in a way that doesn't feel like it's holding your hand or anything like that. 
Yeah, I agree. It, it's really nice for a game to it. Do, like you said, it doesn't hold your hand. You can see these items on the screen or where they're hidden. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, uh, there's only a few that are like really hidden in objects that you need a weapon or something to to break it. Uh, which is smart. Like I said, smart game design. And then when you find like those hidden things that are like you have to use special weapons to get to or break uh, special things to get to. That just gives you like that. It's like finding a hidden door in a video game. You just get that like warm, fuzzy dopamine hit. And you're like, yes, I actually got something cool for doing this. Uh, the whole wall jump thing and where the items were hidden. There's another spot. And I can't remember which level it is where you kind of have to do the same thing. But it's much easier to identify because it's on a solid wall. So when you're sliding down the wall, it's just literally like a, a row of bricks that you can break and then the objects like right behind them. So in that respect, like if you know what the, the special item can do with like breaking bricks, it makes sense. You can try it because you're like, oh, the, I don't see any other way to break these bricks. So I might as well slide down this wall and jump and see if it works. But again, it the game describes it to you as your head breaking bricks. And in my head, that's like Mario jumping, whacking bricks with your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like a, a, a weird thing to have in the game. It's funny how there's like transition like that. Yeah, but I can't complain about it. Like it's kind of like a common sense thing. That one little area where you have to like, it's a weird jump. You have to see it in order to understand, but it's essentially a dash jump up into a row of bricks that you can break and you barely land on it and you have to mash the jump button to break the bricks. It's one of the hardest jumps in the game. Like if you ever talk to anybody that plays, uh, that's played Mega Man X, they'll probably know it right off the bat and be able to explain it to you. It's kind of a bullshit jump. You kind of have to like dash jump off the wall, if I remember correctly. It's very, like, very precise. Yeah, there's a little platform. So I'll I'll, I'll try to like th- this has gone on way too long for me explaining this, but I got like I got to explain it. So there's if you're looking at the screen, let's say you're you're looking at Mega Man X and you're playing it right now. In the top left of the screen, like at the very top left edge of the screen, you can see the ceiling and then like a row of bricks going up from the edge of the ceiling. So kind of think of it like a like a lying down L of bricks. And then on the right hand side, there's like a floating platform that you can jump on. You have to dash off the floating platform at the very end of that floating platform. You have to jump. So you actually have to dash to get enough speed jump off the little floating platform and when you catch the the little row of breakable bricks you're literally on it for maybe i want to say like three frames and you have to jump as soon as you land on those bricks to in order to break them and then when you jump off you kind of like hold left to launch yourself back into the bricks and you just keep mashing jump until you break the row up and that's how you get up to get the the item but it's the most like if you were looking at this jump on the screen, you would think it's fucking unmakeable. <laughs> like you would be like, this doesn't even look like anything that I could actually make, especially if you're trying to hit it with your head. Now that you mention it, I think that is the only thing in the game that I did have to look up a walkthrough for. That in the Hadoken power up, which yes, there are Street Fighter moves in most of them, not most of them, but Mega Man X1, X2, and X8 had the Tatsumaki move. But, um, there is a secret Hadoken in X1, which I thought was so fucking cool. If you remember, I don't. Did you get that? 
No, I didn't. I wanted to ask you, how the hell do you get that? <laughs> like, I've seen videos of it, but I don't know how to get it. What's weird about it is it's like people describe it to you and it sounds like one of those like fake playground rumors almost kind of like, oh, like, like you can get Sephiroth in your party in Final Fantasy seven or, oh, uh, you know, you can, <laughs> I don't know, fight Bowser a fourth time in Mario 64 or something like that. It's like one of those fake playground rumors, but it's a real thing. And you have to go to armored armadillo stage. And I think you have to have four full E tanks and you that part, you know, that part at the end of Armored Armadillo stage where those fast platforms you're standing on, those like, you know what I'm talking about. They're like speeding yeah. through. At the end, I think if you have four full tanks, I think you have, need to have nine lives. If you jump to the very top, you'll find a Dr. Light capsule where he's dressed up as Ryu and he'll give you the Hadouken power up. And you actually have to input it like an actual Hadouken, which is really sick. And it one hit kills everything if you can land it. But if you take any damage at all, you can't use it anymore. So there is a bit of risk versus reward. But one-shotting some of those final bosses in Sigma's Fortress, were, it was so satisfying. Like that terrible spider boss, giving that one Hadoken shot and just seeing it crumble, just oof, so nice. Yeah. Okay, so before before we get into the shit I hate because you brought up the goddamn spider boss and there's something else that I will I'll completely shit on when it comes to this game. Um, I want to talk about one thing that is in your notes that we, we, we hopped over and we cannot hop over it and that's the fucking music to this game because the soundtrack to Mega Man X, I actually, so I'm, I'm the nerdiest uh, dad in the world. My kid, I have a playlist for my kid uh, who's only 16 months old. That's all video game music. It's all video game soundtracks. Everything from like Resident Evil 2, Final Fantasy 7, um, Mega Man X, the original Mega Man games, the whole nine. Almost every song from Mega Man X is on that goddamn playlist because they are so fucking good. They have no right to be as good as they are, but they are amazing. They go so hard. And the thing is, I can't talk about like the super nintendo and genesis sound chip and in, in a way that sounds like i know what i'm talking about because i'm sure there's someone else who might know more about that but the genesis was typically known for having more grungier sounds if that makes sense more like replicating like an electronic guitar or something like that but Mega Man x does that so fucking well they're just so catchy and they go so hard yeah there it's some of the best music you'll ever hear from like a super nintendo game like you can put this soundtrack up to almost any other game that came out around that time and it's going to blow it out of the water hands down it's so fucking good as a matter of fact when i was uh so i've been like kind of shopping around uh people at work like because i have a few people i work with that you know write music and stuff and i've been trying to get one of them to create like a theme for this the show and one of the tracks from that, like they, they're like, give me like three tracks, and then they'll see what they can kind of come up with. One of the tracks from that is from Mega Man X. Like that's how much I fucking love this soundtrack. I was like, make this sound in like some sort of thirty second clip that I can throw in the show because it's so fucking good and it's so energizing. And the other good thing is it's also so memorable. Like if you hear like the boss music to Mega Man X, it instantly clicks in your head. Like, it's it's just so fucking memorable. I love it. My favorite track undoubtedly has to be the highway level. It just leaves such a good first impression with how 
energetic it is. And it, man, I got to say, like, what a perfect level, honestly. It's like, in a way, it's a tutorial level, but it doesn't outright show everything to you. It's a very simplistic level where they throw all these mini bosses at you and you've got those helicopters that shoot you down, but then you have these walls and it doesn't outright tell you you can wall jump, which is another big asset to Mega Man X's moveset now. But in a way, it's 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 kind of gently hinting to the player because you're trapped in this like this like kind of like this dome almost um, by these two giant walls, and you're like, how am I supposed to get up here? So it really encourages player experimentation, and I think that is just really really good design. It's actually, I would say, probably the best tutorial level in a game without it being just a straight-up tutorial level. Like, it is what it is. Even when you get to that level, you don't beat the boss at the end of it. So it's just showing you, like, this is what you can expect from the game. But you're right. They could have easily gone through and put light capsules or just text boxes through the entirety of that first level and stopped you every two seconds to explain to you what you should be doing in each area. There could have been a text bubble that popped up saying like, hey, X, make sure you try to like, remember you can wall jump or something like that. They could have done that, but they didn't. Instead, they pretty much were like, hey, whoever's playing this game should be smart enough to figure out what to do in these scenarios that they're putting them in. I highly doubt that they're going to fall to the bottom of this area. Like this this little, I don't want to call it a pit, but it's pretty much what it is, a pit. And not try to jump and get out and try to jump on the wall. Like they set up the scenario perfectly where it's like you fall into a pit. Oh, look at that. There's no way out. What can I do? Huh? Maybe I can climb this wall. And that's where you figure out how wall jumping works. It's it's genius, and you're going to learn how to shoot and how to charge your Mega Buster just as you go through the level. Like, there's nothing there that's stopping you being like, hey, hold B to charge the Mega Buster. Ha, 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 ha. No, it's just giving you enemies to go and fight and then giving you scenarios that challenge the platform, like you to platform in the game. I wish more games did that. Like, I... there. The fact that every new game that I boot up, especially a first-person shooter, tries to teach me what a first-person shooter is every time when it's like, it's 2023, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what to do by now, drives me fucking insane. I wish more developers just took this type of game design and put this into the first mission of the game and didn't tell me implicitly what to do every two seconds. I'd be like a way happier gamer. I have to agree completely. That's the problem I have with so many modern games myself is that there's just so even this kind of becomes a problem in the later Mega Man X games is that you will have like a lot of like parts where, you know, you'll be stopped so they can explain these basic controls. And that wasn't a thing in the original X games. You know, you could really it was all about like subtlety and like kind of teaching you you know, use what you have at your disposal. You have to actually think about it. And I really, really like that. Yeah. And the the other good thing about this game too is the controls are so tight and so responsive that you never feel like you're you're getting screwed out of something. You never feel like you missed a jump because the controls weren't good enough. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of other games, a lot of other platformers have that issue where you either feel too slidey or 
you know, your movement isn't quite right or your jump just acts weird. Like this game, everything that you're doing when you're playing the game, you know exactly where, where X is going to land. You know exactly how high he's going to jump when you hit the button. Everything just works so flawlessly when you're playing. And whoever came up with the idea of like, hey, we're going to allow you to dash using a double tap or an actual button, just fucking thank you. If you would have just gave me a double tap for that dash, I would have lost my shit. But the fact that I have an actual dash button makes it so much better. No, I literally, so I always set my dash to the R button. I, I never double tap. I just, I can't do that. I absolutely can't. Yeah, the double tap, it's a good option to have in certain scenarios. Like sometimes if I'm doing like a platforming section and I'm just like, I just want to jump a gap or something like that, I'll risk the double tap. I don't know why I do it. I, I just like having, I just like being able to do it, I guess. But when you're doing like boss fights and stuff where movement is very precise to dodge things, that that button to like dash off a wall is super important, especially during the... Uh, I think it's like the, I can't remember if it's the first or second Sigma mission where you have to do that climb up the wall. Oh, with the spikes, the spikes are on the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's so clutch in that area, having the button to just like, like dash back and forth. Or even the beginning of the first Sigma level, there's a spot where there's like the floating platforms that are moving all around. Um, and a lot of the times you can't make a normal jump to the platform. You you have to kind of dash jump to get a little bit more range and height out of it. Having the button is like so much better than just doing the double tap because half the time you'll double tap, you might just like fall right off to your death because it's literally a death pit below. I think it is very worth sacrificing my R button, which the L and R buttons are used for like a quick way of swapping weapons now, which I mean... Definitely works, but I will honestly sacrifice my R button just to have that dash. It's just so much easier than the fucking D-pad or the how the right face button of the SNES controller. I always forget because it's like so confusing with the 360 and placement of the other controllers, the A, B, X, and Y buttons. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely very very useful to have that feature. Also, uh, I, I didn't know you could rebap that button, so I was just using the, the default button. But it is conveniently located right next to the jump button, so I couldn't you, um You have to kind of do that claw motion a little bit, you know what I mean, with like the U-shape with your hand. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of works. But like I never had an issue with it, so I never thought of changing it. But uh, the cycling through the um, different boss weapons is... It, it's almost useless, like... I never found myself doing that too much because half the time, like if you want to switch from one weapon to another, that weapon that you want to switch to is not going to be the one that's like the immediately the next weapon after you might have to cycle through like three or four different weapons. So you're better off just pausing the game and then switching to it that way. Yeah. And the other thing is, I don't, I don't know if this is the same case for you. I always find with Mega Man games, like, I always find I never really use the weapons all that much, save for the bosses, because the weaknesses. I, I never really use it much. I, I usually just go Buster for the levels, honestly. Most of the time I would do Buster, but I will say if I was revisiting a level and I was just wanting to like blow through it, hell yeah, I would use the boss weapons. 
You see me shooting around fucking lasers and bud saws and all sorts of crazy shit because why not? You know, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to get through as quickly as possible. And the boss weapons usually like yeah, yeah. they'll normally damage the enemies way more than the mega buster will, unless you're doing like a, a fully charged mega buster. Then that that's a whole different yeah, story. I, I also have to say, I love the little details with the, the weapons now, like you can literally cut off flame mammoth's trunk using boomer coinger's weapon. Or, like, getting Spark Mandrill, uh, if you use the ice ability, you can literally just get him in this stun lock. And I love stupid little shit like that. <laughs> See, I didn't know about that until I had accidentally done it. And I thought it was the coolest fucking thing. Like, again, I went into this game completely blind. The only time thing I looked up was how to get to that stupid area where you had to break the blocks. But otherwise, I went in blind. So... When I got back to that boss fight, because he whipped my ass the first time, and I do the thing that I'm assuming like the first people that ever played this game did, which was fucking cycle through all of the different boss weapons to to see like which one would actually damage him. When I hit him with the the ice and I saw the armor break, I was like, oh shit, yeah, now it's on. And then you just literally just spray him. You just can pepper him with the mega buster. And there's almost nothing you could do about it because his block does nothing anymore. It's so fucking satisfying. Yeah, no, and it, it doesn't feel cheap either. It, it always feels very well rewarded, like you figured it out yourself, you know? Yeah, and this game does a really good job, I might add, of not having like one overpowered boss weapon. Because if you look at the original Mega Man games, a lot of the time, like like the buzzsaw, you know, like there's just that one really, really overpowered weapon this game doesn't really have that a lot of the times it's varied which weapon will do damage like which which boss character but even when it comes to fighting regular enemies there's no real like catch-all weapon that you should be using all the time so the balance as far as that goes is really good in this game i have to agree and i I am honestly going to be one of those people who says I love Mega Man 2, but I think it is insanely overrated with that metal blade, like really running it for most of the most of the boss weaknesses, honestly. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Yeah, the, the boss weapons in the original Mega Man games, and I wouldn't even say like, it's not all of them. I would say up until I think five or six. Five and six are really good with the, the weapon balance, but... Like you said, that fucking buzzsaw blade <laughs> is so broken. The fact that you can aim it in different directions and shit pretty much breaks the game. It does so much damage. I mean, X definitely has its 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 overpowered weapons at times, but nothing like it won't work on every boss. I, I totally get what you're saying. Okay, so before we get into the my complaints, because I want to see if you have any rebuttals for the shit I'm going to bitch about. Uh, is there anything else that you want to praise? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so hard to say outright. Just every stage is great. Um, I guess if I were to be brief, you know, I love the really cool platforming segments in Storm Eagle stage. I think that's an awesome level. I love the really tight platforming of Sigma's Fortress. Um, I love just like the fast paced sort of horizontal scrolling area of fucking Spark Mandrel. I just think it's all awesome. Yeah, the, I will say the level design in this game is top-notch. The levels do not overstay their welcome. A lot of games, that, especially like this, where it's like the action platformer, you'll get stuck in a level for a really long time and like kind of start getting sick of not only the aesthetic of the level, but the enemies that you fight in it. And I feel like this game in particular is really good at giving you a theme for a level, 
but also switching it up as you move through it. So like the first three, three minutes of a level might be like exactly what you expect, you know? And then like halfway through, they'll switch it up and they'll give you like a, a mech suit to use. And then like the last little bit of the level will be like some harsh platforming or something. It's really good at keeping you on your toes the entirety of the level. And the levels, are, like I said before, are very short. They're not super long. They're not like 20, 30 minute long levels. You can beat most of them in five or 10 minutes. And if you're dashing through these suckers, like I don't even want to watch a speed run of this game because I'm sure it's obnoxious. But you can probably like if you're just dashing through, skipping most of the enemies or just using like boss weapons or charge mega busters, you could probably go blow through most of the levels within like three to five minutes, which is insane. But that still doesn't detract from how good the level design is in those levels. If you're a first time player playing this game, you're going to enjoy every minute of going through each and every level of the game, probably with the exception of Sigma's Fortress, which has some really like it's a steep learning curve. Like It's a very quick jump in difficulty from the original Maverick levels up until the Sigma levels. Like when you get to oh, Sigma's Fortress, it's. It really challenges you and makes you use every ability that you've used in previous levels right off the bat once you get to Sigmas. Oh, yeah. It, it pretty much, just like Wily's Castle, it, it pretty much assumes you have everything. Well, not everything, but all the armors at this point, enough to, you know, basically test everything that you've been put through to this point. Just use absolutely everything. And yeah, that's definitely an aspect I can appreciate. I will say too, uh, I didn't die much in the the level, like the actual individual levels with all the the you know. I, I want to say robot masters. I know they're not robot masters, but that's just what I'm gonna say. All the robot masters in this game, those levels, I almost never died in, with probably the exception of the water level, and that was just like I would get like bumped into a spike pick or something like that. But once I got to Sigma's Fortress. The first stage has like a platforming section where um, I don't want to say it's like cheap, but it's difficult because you can't see the ground. So you're relatively like how Mega Man X is relative to the ground and the way things are moving is very vague because there's no way to dictate if you're moving left, right, up, down, center on these platforms that are constantly shifting. And it kind of throws off your... It's like getting your balance thrown off when you're trying to platform because you don't you can't tell which way the platforms are moving sometimes. And that's not a bad thing because it really tests your platforming skills and it's still a very fair area. The thing that makes it kind of annoying though is you have enemies that are constantly spawning in from off screen hitting you while you're trying to do this difficult platforming. You're definitely expected to make leaps of faith, and it's also one of those games that has like respawning enemies when they're off the screen, so it's really, really fucking annoying. However, um, this game with the fully charged buster does have uh, fully charged moves for all the weapons now, so you can literally use armored armadillo's fully charged weapon, and it gives you an invincible shield that can just kind of help you get through that part. It won't help you with the jumps, but it will help you get through the um, the cannons that are shooting at you. Yeah, there's also I can't remember which weapon it is. That's like a homing. There's a, one of the weapons is like a homing weapon, and that's what I use the entire time during that platform section. Yes, um, that's long octopus. Yeah, I would literally just jump and then fire that, so that way every time like an enemy came in from off screen, I would just like launch it right at him and not have to worry about it. Yeah. But once you get through that section, 
it's it was that section and the section with the the wall jumping back and forth like there's a a spot where you have to essentially climb up a very narrow i don't even know how you know how to describe it what are you talking about it's like the last one yeah it's like the a vertical hallway if you would so you have to wall jump back and forth and the enemies like you said constantly spawn from off screen so if you get hit and you fall down the enemy that you just might have killed that was above you will respawn directly above you again and that's super frustrating but if you know about the boss weapons that you have and you can essentially get around it if you're really good but it's still a very difficult section because again everything's constantly spawning in above you every time you fall yeah so every time you make a mistake you're like doubly punished for it that area is also really good for grinding e-tanks because those enemies will keep dropping uh energy for you to just gather and you could just literally fill up every single one of your e-tanks which is super cool too later on in the uh in the game because right before certain bosses there'll be these spots where enemies just constantly spawn and at first you're like why the, why the hell is this area here like it, it doesn't need to be here then you realize oh shit every everything that i need to refill i could just refill by killing these enemies yeah so you can just farm in those sections right before boss battles which is again act like perfect game design because they could have just drained all your shit throughout all these battles and not giving you any way to like essentially build it back up but instead they gave you these little farming areas where like if you were low on energy or uh low on weapon energy you could just farm it there it was super smart but also i didn't think about this till after the fact it's also a really cool challenge for speedrunners. Because that means, like, if you fuck up and you wasted too much stuff, you're going to have to waste more time by farming all the shit right before all these boss areas. It's kind of like a, a good little punishment. Yeah, I, I actually never quite thought about that aspect. Yeah, it's a, it's, I was, as I was farming, I'm like, this has to suck for a speedrunner that, like, accidentally missed, like, two shots on something and now has to sit here and, like, waste 30 seconds to farm and it just ruined his run. Yeah. yeah. But overall, the the sigma fortress was my favorite part of the game but there's really yes there's a large butt in there there's actually two of them two huge butts that i have with this fucking fortress the first is the fact that and it doesn't tell you this in the anniversary collection that it doesn't save for each individual part of the fortress so once you get to sigma's fortress it only will start you at the first level so I forgot how many levels Sigma's oh, yeah. Fortress is. It's like three or four. There's like four. That there's like four parts. That password is not going to help you at all. It, it never will. It's always going to bring you to the beginning. So you'll have to do everything again. You'll have to do the boss rematches again. Everything up until Sigma. It's it, it will give you like all your armor pieces and E tanks and sub tanks, what have you. But it will not start you back to where Sigma is. And yeah, the X Legacy Collection doesn't seem to have. I don't think it does have save states. I think it just has that weird checkpoint save thing, which, again, will get you right before Sigma's Fortress, but not anywhere within it. So I was trying to explain this to somebody at work the other day because they're like, doesn't it just doesn't it have a save system? He's like, I've played the game. It has a save system. I'm like, ah, it does. But there's a fucking asterisk there. It doesn't actually save your game. If you look at what the save system does in the anniversary collection, uh, it pretty much just is using the password system, but without you having to input the password. 
So you have to think of it this way. When you beat a level or you beat a, a robot master or a maverick, whatever you want to call it, when you beat that on those stages, when it gives you the password screen, it asks you, do you want to save? And you hit yes. It's just saving the password. So in the original Mega Man X game, the password was only for Sigma's Fortress level one. So when you go and you get to like Sigma's Fortress level four, now it will ask you every single time you beat a part of Sigma's Fortress. So if you beat Sigma stage one, it'll ask you, do you want to save? If you beat Sigma stage two, it's going to ask you again if you want to save. And if you hit yes there, it's only going to send you all the way back to the first part of Sigma's Fortress. It's not saving each level. And that's what pissed me off because it it kind of tricks you into thinking, hey, if I save my game here, I'm going to be able to start back here. That is not the case. And that is my disclaimer for anybody playing this game on the fucking anniversary collection. So don't come crying to me that you got to Sigma and then had to go walk your dog and then came back and you weren't at fucking Sigma again. It, it, it really, I don't understand how it could have been that hard for them to add save states, given that these are like basically ROMs on the legacy collection. It just seems weird to me. I think they were trying to keep it as faithful to the original games as possible. And I 100% respect that. And the reason I say that is because I've played the Contra Legacy Collection and the Castlevania Legacy Collection. Those games, like, it's really hard not to abuse the save state in those games. Like, the first time I played through Castle, the original Castlevania, you bet your ass I used a save state directly before the death fight. Because I was going to get my crap kicked in i knew i was gonna get my ass beat but if it's not there if that option isn't there like you're getting the experience of playing the original game and if you're really looking for people to have that like this is like you know back in the 90s snes experience yeah that's probably the best way to do it i i have to agree yeah it's it's kind of interesting how it works that way right it's kind of like you have to put yourself in the mind of, like, a 90s kid, you know, and be like, you know what? Like you said, you didn't look up any of the boss weaknesses or anything, so you kind of had to go off pure instinct. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every step of the way. I personally, though, wish that the game would have told me that it wasn't saving in those levels. Like, I would have, I would have actually, like, been like, okay, cool, I at least know. And the funniest part is I'm not the only one that had this issue because if you go on to forums, people were rip shit that it wasn't saving the game when it was saying it was saving the game. And I totally understand that because I feel like I was bait and switched because it was one of those things where I got to Sigma and I was like, Sigma's kicking my ass, but I have to like, I, I, f I forgot what I had to do. I think I had to like take my kid to swim class or something. So I was like, fuck it. I've saved here. You know, I'm just going to turn it off. I'll come back to it later. And then, like, I booted it back up and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was so goddamn annoyed. But then I was like, you know what? It was like you can blow through Sigma's Fortress in like 20 minutes, like all, all the way up to Sigma. So it wasn't that big of a deal. The downside is a lot of parts that I blew through the first time, I struggled with the second time, which gets me to my fucking second issue with the Sigma's Fortress. And that's that fucking spider. I hate that goddamn spider it's with such a passion. It's it's completely random where he's going to land. You just have to predict because you have these like kind of like these lines he's going down. And I'm not sure what to call it, but you kind of have to anticipate where he's going to land. And I have to say, 
getting him with the Hadouken felt amazing. Oh, when I saw that video, I was like, good. That motherfucker deserved it. I had, I, so the, this is again, why I was so mad because the first time I went through the, all of Sigma's fortress, I beat that f spider on the first shot. Like I had zero issues. I don't know if it was like sheer luck or whatnot, but I whipped his ass first try. When I went through the second time, I could not kill this. I couldn't kill him for the life of me. I had, I must have died probably 15 to 20 times on just that one boss. I was getting so fucking frustrated and I couldn't figure out like what it was. And then, but you're exactly right. It's completely random. Um, for those of you who haven't played this game, uh, the way the boss works is you have this mechanical spider that spawns on the top of the screen. And where this boss is spawning, there are, I can't remember if it's like four, five, six poles. Think of like four or five metal poles that go vertically from the top of the screen to the bottom. The spider will create webs going back and forth between each pole, going all the way down to the bottom. The only way the spider can move is if it's on one of those webs or one of those pipes. So it's kind of like a, a maze being drawn every single time. Um, he gets to the bottom. So he'll get to the bottom, respawn at the top, draw a new set of webs going down, and then he has to follow those webs from pipe to pipe all the way down to the bottom. It's kind of the only way he attacks too because he just spawns spiders everywhere every now and again, which is again is completely fucking random because this is the most random goddamn boss in human history. And it sounds pretty easy except for like you literally have to guess where he's going to end up. And like it seems like 60% of the time he will find a way to fucking hit you at the bottom of the screen. Not it's a only really small window too for you to hit him. That's the other issue. So you can't just shoot him when he's coming down. No, no, no. That shit would be too easy. You can only shoot him when he gets to the very bottom and he pauses there for about a second. And in that second pause window, you can he has like a little like I don't know if it's like an eye or a jewel or something on the back that opens up and that's the only fucking time you can hit this guy is this like little half second window and if you get hit so if he comes down and he hits you that window's gone because mega man like x is stunned for about that half a second and then the spider just starts all over again it's so it's oh my god if there's one real big complaint it's definitely it's the worst boss in the game bar none yeah and it's just because of the randomization i didn't even have that much of a problem with sigma because at least sigma before you fight him they give you essentially a farming spot at the bottom of the level where you have to climb up a tube and there are um like worms or something or caterpillars like whatever that spawn out the side and you can just farm whatever you need if you need life if you need you know yep. uh ammo for weapons whatever you just farm it there so it gives you all the tools you need before going into the sigma battle whereas this spider just like fucks you right off the bat super goddamn annoying yeah i mean i'd also say the sigma boss fight like you said you have all those tanks at your disposal i'd even say that's a bit of a tough fight i mean i don't have too much problems with the first segment with the dog but the second part where fucking sigma has that saber with him it's really hard because you have to like anticipate where he's gonna land and then the third part, he's got that giant mechanical thing he's operating, and you have to like jump on the hands and hit his head. And the hitbox is really, really specific for that. But otherwise, I thought it was a really good final boss fight. Yeah, I think the final boss fight is super fun. Uh, the the dog. So the the 
final boss of the game, Sigma, has three stages. First, you fight his, his I want to say it's his dog. It's not a cat, right? It's a dog, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely a dog. All right. I can't remember because it's like it, I just killed it so quickly. So the dog's like super easy. If you just like spam the, the freeze stuff, it kind of covers the screen. So like it like blasts like a block of ice out and then scatter once it hits the edge. So he's really easy to hit and it's actually weak to it. So you can usually blow through the first part of the boss fight super quick. And then you get to the second part. The second part is where the game, like, really, you have to be so on point with your movements because his attacks, if he's just, like, walking into you, it doesn't really do much damage. But he has this sword, like a lightsaber sword. And if he hits you with this thing, oh, my God. It's like, I want to say a third of your health goes away or something obnoxious. And it's very, very hard to avoid if you're on the ground. So the only way you can really beat the second part of the signal fight is if you kind of like wall climb your way up the side, which will force him to shoot back and forth and like uh, flying knee kick you. But it takes him a while. He has to like hop back and forth side to side from one end of the screen to the other. So you can kind of like kite him up to the top of the screen, jump down and then hit him as he comes down or goes up and just rinse and repeat that. But if you're like trying to play the ground game with this guy, he will wreck you because it only takes like two or three hits from the sword attack to kill you. And that was probably like the most challenging thing. That is, I think that actually might have been um, the only other boss fight in the game where I had to look up how to beat him because I felt like he had no weaknesses and that was throwing me off. And I had, by that point, I had to go through like that little farming tube at the beginning like three or four times and i'd wasted like half an hour just farming those little like um worms or whatever were coming out of the wall i i feel like i don't remember but i feel like i used spark mandrel's weapon for that one i feel like it was just the better bet at least for his second form if i remember correctly that was the one that like uh splits on the wall right like it goes um like vertically like it splits vertically ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what i think i used that for him yeah, that actually works yeah. really well. If you like I said, if you can kite him jumping back and forth on the wall, you could like blast Spark Mandrel's weapon and usually hit him like two or three times, like both on the way up and on the way down. And if you could do that, you'll you'll wipe the floor with them. Oh yeah. Um, but I didn't know that. I was just trying to, I was going through every boss weapon and it's really hard to tell sometimes, excuse me, which boss weapons are actually doing more damage than others. So I didn't even notice Spark Mandrels was doing slightly slightly more damage than the other weapons I was using. But once I looked it up, I was like, okay, I, I get the strategy required to beat him. And then the third stage of the boss fight is, I, I would argue, probably the most fun of the, the three stages. Because it requires like a, a bit of platforming. It almost reminds me of, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not, it kind of reminds me of a, like a Dr. Robotnik fight. A little bit, yeah, I can kind of see it. There are definitely fights in Sonic that require you to, like, kind of manipulate some platforming elements. Yeah, it it definitely forces you to platform your way up. So, he has, like, two... He's in the giant robot. The best way to explain it, it's, it's kind of like, um... Oh, man. Well, how, I don't even know how it's... Like, kind of like a Contra boss. So, you know how the Contra boss is a lot of them, like, in the background? It's kind of like one of those deals. And he has these almost hands on each side of the screen that constantly move. And they have spikes on the bottom. 
but he could summon lightning through these hands. He could also shoot from the head in the middle. They shoot like vertically. Yeah. Yep. And you have to pretty much wait for the hand to come down and attack you because he'll try to kind of like crush you with one of the hands. Then you can jump on the top of it, which will bring you close enough to his head where you kind of blast it and you just rinse and repeat it. But I think only there's only like one or two weapons that actually damage him, if I'm not mistaken, in that third form. I mean, I think it's like I think I use the Mega Buster for that part, honestly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can use either a Mega Buster or uh, shit, the bubble weapon. I don't know what it's called. Again, I'm not a oh, Mega Man expert. I I, I want to say Bubble Crab. That's Mega Man X2. I th- it can't be Launch Octopus. Bubble Splash. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. You can actually do a, a, a decent amount of damage with that one. The only downside is you have to get way oh, closer. Oh, that's Mega Man X2. That was actually Mega Man X2. I'm completely wrong. I have no idea. Uh, it's just it, I don't know which weapon it is, but it literally like it drops. It like drops and rolls along the bottom. But it's the only weapon oh, besides the Mega Buster. Yes, yes. So that's the only one that will actually damage him outside of the Mega Buster. Um, so that's the one I use because you could like shoot it faster essentially. And then once you do that, you're you, you've beaten the game, which is great because quite possibly. And then X has a long, profound message about. How long is this war supposed to go on? Because X X's defining character trait through these games is war is bad and people should stop hurting each other. Yeah, it's pretty deep. But Zero um, is the exact opposite and will do whatever his mission tells him to with no remorse. But Sigma kind of has this message at the end of the game that he's like, as long as my consciousness is still alive, or rather his like spirit He'll always come back. So similar to Wily, Sigma's going to be a recurring character through the series in different forms. Yeah, it's a cool, like, uh, I don't know, it's like you've won ending, but you know you didn't kind of win. Like, it's almost like when, this is going to be a weird comparison, it's almost like when Neo in The Matrix blows up Smith. He doesn't kill Smith, he just sets him free. Same rules apply with Sigma. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like he'll always live on still. Yeah, which is cool because he's an AI. Yeah, it, it keeps the series. It keeps the series going. It keeps shit entertaining. But honestly, like once I once I finished the game. Yeah. Like I said, I the first time I had beaten it was probably like three weeks ago. I want to say I totally understand why this game is so well regarded because there's very little of this game that is filler. And it's super, super fun to play, even now. Like, I understand why it's it a lot of people's favorite game. Completely, it, it is so timeless with everything. It's controls, it's music, it's graphics. And even going back to it to this day, it, it still feels perfect. Yeah, it's the controls especially, like, just make the platforming feel so good. If there's one thing that this game that doesn't really hold up very well, there are certain sections of the game where a slowdown is evident like you could tell that it's just doing too much oh especially in armored armadillo stage where all those like flying fucking penguins start coming in it comes to a crawl literally like even in the the anniversary collection because those are just like essentially straight ports of the game so you're not going to get any better performance out of them uh but there's a lot of sections like if things are moving really fast and shit's exploding Yes, this game is going to drop some serious frames, which in Super Nintendo terms means it's gonna it's gonna go into slow motion. Um, yeah. Luckily, 
it doesn't happen in really crucial moments. It's usually when you're riding that that little cart in armored armadillo stages uh, in things like that, where honestly you don't need precise movement or anything anyways, but that's really the only hit in performance that this game ever takes. And it never happens during like a boss battle or where it would really fuck you up. It only happens in like areas where it kind of really doesn't matter. Oh yeah. It's a very well optimized game, honestly. And slow down, like, that was a thing that was prevalent on a lot of Super Nintendo games, especially with, like, the arcade ports, like, Gradius 3. So, it, it's good. It definitely was not much of an issue here. Yeah. So, performance-wise, overall great. Graphically, excellent. If you're playing on the Anniversary Collection, I will say this, too. The filters are actually pretty decent on it. Like, I was playing on my um, my 4K TV and I threw on the CRT filter and I didn't feel like it was so egregiously bad that I needed to turn it off or have it smoothed. Like I felt like it actually did its job. Yeah, a lot of those filters, I feel like they just really missed the mark with those scan lines. And I, I, I've always been an advocate for playing on a CRT for these kinds of games. And having the scan lines be as accurate as possible is very, very important to me. Um, but yeah, I know there's like another filter that i think it's like sai2x or something it kind of makes them look hand-drawn almost and i absolutely hate that one it just does not look very good yeah i would say it doesn't even make it look hand-drawn it makes it look like it's it's almost like if somebody tried to draw Mega Man with a crayon yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like they took the sprites and smeared them almost yeah, don't play in that filter for the love of God. It's really, really bad. There are other games that use that stupid filter too. Like the, um, the I, I want to say the Genesis Collection also has those filters on games and they look absolutely horrible. Like it doesn't look as bad as let's say the Chrono Cross remaster or remake, whatever it was. That shit just looks horrible. Never use any of the filtering in that game besides like the classic one because it's going to look like trash. This one, it's like serviceable, but it definitely does not represent how good the art design is of this game. What's interesting is um, the X Legacy Collection. So the regular Legacy Collection was handled by Digital Eclipse, I think, and they did a fantastic job. Um, But for this collection, I think it was done in-house at Capcom. So it's a good collection. It is a great way to play these games. But if I recall correctly, when I was playing these on Switch, they're at least on the Super Nintendo games, there is a tiny amount of input delay that will definitely affect precision a little bit. But again, it's it's nothing major. It's something that if you're used to the Switch's input delay, you'll be fine with it. Like I play on Switch all the time, and I play a lot of classic stuff on Switch. Yeah. Like that's how I played through all the Castlevania games on the the Switch. And I didn't have any issues, but I think that's because I've grown so accustomed to that input delay. Yeah. But if you're going to play it and you want like an accurate, like the most accurate representation of it, yes, you have classic hardware, but there's also emulation and emulation with a good monitor. And if you throw on the correct filtering for it, is probably going to be your most accurate way to play if you don't feel like shelling out the money for an actual console. Yeah. But yeah, if you're going to play the anniversary collection, I will I will say, yes, there is input delay. Luckily, though, this game doesn't need as much precision as something like Battletoads, which is literally unbeatable oh, God. on the rare replay collection. Like, I, I have can't spent... even that game on a real fucking NES, so... I've gotten so far into that game, like 
past the 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 bike level like the whole night. There's a level where it's like you have to um ride up the walls and accurately time each like direction change. And because there is even I know that one, yeah. The slightest amount of input lag, you physically can't beat the level on an Xbox. That's not the case here. Like I beat through I went through the entire legacy I mean um Mega Man X game on the anniversary collection and had zero issues like literally zero issues i never felt like it was hampering me at all but with that being said like like if you do feel input lag a lot definitely either emulate it or do original hardware yeah i'd have to agree all right i think we've uh i think we've gone through pretty much everything that you wanted to cover like you gave me a very accurate list of of stuff you wanted to go through and it was very comprehensive and i appreciate that because i'm normally a fly by the seat of my pants type of guy and uh this was actually pretty pretty nice to do (laughs) i wanted to have the thoughts organized as much as possible you know because i haven't played it as recently as you so i try to remember as much as i could you know and i appreciate that uh with that being said is there anything you want to say about Mega Man x that hasn't been said yet i feel like the last thing I'd like to just go a small bit into, because I haven't quite beat it yet, is the PSP remake of this, uh, Maverick Hunter X. Have you heard of that? Okay, so there's a, a buddy at work that I was talking to yesterday about this. He was playing it on his... He was emulating it on his Vita. Yep. And he couldn't think of the name of it. And I heard about it, but I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's a full 2.5D remake of this game that... I only got halfway through, but it was pretty competent. Um, they did a lot of weird changes, though. They changed the location of some of the light capsules. There's, like, a whole anime cinematic now. Like, I think it's, like, you unlock it for beating the game, but there is, like, an anime opening, Day of Sigma. It's included in the Legacy Collection, which, by the way, retcons... Uh, it, it completely retcons Dr. Kane's death. It, it's really weird. It, the X games start to have a lot of plot inconsistencies in them later down the line, but either way, because Doctor Kane, he he's just fine in X three, but in Day of Sigma, which is a prequel, he is he he dies, and at least it shows him dying in like a flash of light. And then for Sigma, like his becoming Maverick origin story is completely different, because like I said in X four, it shows us how he becomes Maverick, but Day of Sigma shows a completely different side to that so i don't know it's weird but it's a pretty competent remake you can also play as vile which is really interesting um so yeah it's 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 pretty good i I do recommend it okay so it's definitely better than the uh was it the psp remake of the original Mega Man? oh powered up i I don't think powered up is bad but i would i would say it's it's a more faithful remake okay fair enough but yeah i want to play actually uh, i got really lucky this week and i was talking about this game uh in the break room with somebody and i had mentioned the like i was i had remarked about how the person's vita that was playing the mega man uh, maverick hunter the remake his vita was blue and i was like that's pretty dope and one of the guys in the break room was like hey i have a vita i don't play it would you like it and i was like what he's like yeah i'll just give it to you so i may have just acquired a ps vita for free we'll see how that goes lucky for you too they're very easy to hack so i don't think you'll have any issue getting it on there oh i'm so excited yeah he was just like yeah i don't play my ps vita so if you want it take it i'm like oh awesome 
Nice. Yeah, very, very excited. I tried to offer him money and he refused. So I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'll, once you find it. I can't say no to a free Vita. I hope it was the uh, OLED model, not the LCD model. But hey, a free Vita is a free Vita. I think it might be an OLED one because he said it was one of the, it was like the original one. And the original one was the OLED. And then the. They have very colorful screens. They're great. Yeah. So that's cool. I mean, worst case scenario, I have to replace the battery or something in it, which I'm not too worried about. I'm super pumped about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so Mega Man X closing thoughts. Uh, yeah, no, I feel like this game is easily one of the, not just one of the best on the Super Nintendo, but one of the best action platformers of all time. It, it's really, really stands toe to toe with a lot of the big giants of gaming, you know, Link to the Past, Super Metroid, um, Sonic the Hedgehog, all those things. It, it is just a fantastic game. And honestly, as much as I, I, I'm going to say I do like X2 slightly better than X1, which raises a lot of uh, questions for a lot of people. But I, I really do think um, I, I could see why a lot of people still think X1 is the peak of the series because it really did kind of peak here. And moving forward with the X series, it's it's kind of like it, it's almost like they, they, they were kind of like not as great honestly it started going downhill a little bit from there and that that's kind of a shame because they really had a winning formula with this game i felt yeah i think it's one of those things where probably iteration was the the issue yeah so i think it was like one of those things where once they got so many games in that was that was the thing they couldn't come up with the or their ideas weren't going to be as fresh as they they thought they were going to be yeah i i would say like i really love playing mega man x i thought it was yeah, like you said, one of the best action platformers ever. I can agree to that. That is yeah. uh, perfectly sums up what Mega Man X is. And the fact that you beat it recently, having not played it for so long, and still were able to get into it, the fact that you had to go through Sigma's Fortress again uh, and, and suffer through all of that, and you still enjoyed it, that's just a testament to how how good the game still is and it, it it will always forever be one of my favorite games of all time yeah it definitely worked its way up to one of my favorite like i said at least my favorite one of my favorite action platformers ever made for sure oh yeah but yeah okay so is there anything you want to tell the people listening any place they could find you uh anything that you're doing yeah um I mean, if, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, you know, same username, SigmaX, uh, RayFist090. Uh, I, I don't post as much on YouTube these days, but I, I would love to get back into it sometime. Uh, no projects right now that I can think of, but it would definitely be cool to... Because I was doing some gaming-related content where I was, like, reviewing stuff. It was a Primo's Game Room um, where I reviewed, like, old games from my backlog and collection. The last video I did was a Knuckles Chaotix one, which was a lot of fun. Uh... I would really like to do something like that again. I was script writing for a Klonoa one, but the thing is when I'm editing videos all day for my work and then I do it as a hobby, it it, it gets very complicated, you know, but I would love to kind of get back into the, uh, the swing of making things creatively for YouTube. It would be a lot of fun, but it, for now it was, it was great to be on here and it was great to talk. Yeah, I agree. And I loved having you on. I hope we get to talk more, especially because you're you're so into the retro scene and you like these older oh, yeah. games. Like I remember uh, one of the first videos I watched on your YouTube channel was the one on Gunstar Heroes. And I was like, oh, yeah, he gets it. Fucking Gunstar Heroes is wonderful. <laughs> Love that game. 
but yeah, uh, so that's going to be it. Thank you for, for coming on and talking with me. I really appreciate it. And like I said, I hope to have you back soon because like retro games, uh, retro games hold a special ga- place in my heart because I remember exactly what I was doing when I was playing those games and there's so much nostalgia behind them. And I love talking about them. And I can talk about them for like hours and hours as much as I love modern games too. For some reason, like all of my favorite games are from like the, the Genesis PlayStation one, like that time frame era. So yeah, I, I love revisiting those things. Yeah, no, I definitely have to agree. I feel like there's definitely something about retro games that modern games cannot replicate. And that is the reason why as much as I love my PS five, I will always go back to my super nintendo bo- way more i'll always go back to my genesis way more i'll always go back to my nes way more it's just those games are just completely timeless to me and they're, they're so much more fun and just easy to pick up and play i totally agree there it's that whole aspect where you can like pick up a game in like 90 percent of the time from those generations you'll probably beat it within like an hour or two and there's something about yeah. that that's very satisfying like you don't have to dump 60 hours into a game like far cry 6 or something like that to get like a satisfying conclusion in ending and there's just no there's no uh, there's no fluff there's just no fluff in those games like everything is there for a reason they're trying to pack as much game into those cartridges in those discs as like humanly possible and i really appreciate that about them it makes the the gameplay so much more satisfying like i recently played through streets um streets of rage 2 again and i remember like finishing i finished the game and i was like wow that was that was only like 40 minutes but i was like that was a really solid 40 minutes of gaming oh yeah and good luck with streets of rage 3 because that game will kick your ass oh (laughs) it is probably I know about Streets of Rage 3. I, I played that when I was like literally a teenager. Um, and the only way I was able to beat it was with a friend. And we would have to really like strategically go through that game and predict where enemies were going to spawn and like set up ambushes, essentially. Yeah, it was very yeah, that, difficult. that was what you had to do. Yeah. But yeah, I can't wait to talk more about those games. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Oh, hell yeah. But yeah, I guess that's where we can end it. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. Make sure you come back. Uh, we're going to have an episode every week. So far, I've held up my end of the bargain and made an episode every week for the month of January. Thanks for watching. Please come back. Please check us out. Follow us on your you know, podcast app of choice. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, uh, Amazon. And I'm doing supplemental videos on YouTube if you want to do anything there. You can also leave me a comment on Facebook at Extraordinary Games. Leave a comment. I'll reply to whatever you guys want to say. Uh, Thanks for listening and have a good one, folks.